My name is Linda Rose Perino. I was born in 1975. While in college, I became the wife of Larry Perino, a civil engineer. I am a practicing attorney specializing in taxes and real estate. I suppose my father's extensive real estate holdings motivated me to pursue this specialty. When I obtained my law degree, you can guess my first client. Daddy. My father had become quite the landlord. He not only built his own apartments, but he rented them and maintained them. I am proud to say that I was able to ease some of his burden by managing his properties and keeping close tabs on his taxes, maintenance expenses, rental incomes, delinquent rental payments, and eviction actions. My main practice, however, was being an associate at a Long Island firm. After seven years, I became a partner in the same firm. I had a fairly typical childhood growing up in Farmingdale. Being an only child was great. I had my mother's complete and undivided attention. I never missed having a brother or sister. I benefited from being the center of attention. I loved both my parents but not really in the same way. I was aware of their divergent personalities. I loved my mother because she was my caregiver, my friend, my constant companion, and my strongest advocate. She was a doter but I managed to find plenty of space to grow and experience life's trials and tribulations. When boys would pick on me, my mother would tell me to just walk away. My father would have said to look them in the eyes and tell them to back off. If there were problems at school, my schoolteacher mother would always have my back. Growing up where I did, most of my friends were either Irish, Italian, Jewish or wasps. I did not associate with any blacks or Hispanics until I got to college. Very few of my friends were from broken homes. Things were different 40 years ago. People tried to stay together, if only for the children's sake. I loved my father also, and he was my steady inspiration. I never wanted to disappoint or displease him. The thought of being the object of his occasional rantings was horrible. Sadly, my father was rarely home on weekdays, and even some weekends. When he did come home, he was usually exhausted. I learned not to demand too much from him in the way of playing with me or taking me places. But he was generous to a fault. Whenever I mentioned, even in casual conversation, that it would be nice to have some doll or article of clothing, he would present it to me within the week. In junior high school, I first started paying attention to boys. Mother and I had a very adult relationship. She did counsel me when I approached her with some adolescent calamity. She would never forbid me to do this or that but rather emphasized the consequences of any unwise decision I was considering, using her own experiences or those of friends. In time, we were able to discuss most anything, from bullying to smoking dope to contraception. I trusted my mother, and she was in fact my best friend growing up. I would never have discussed any of these things with my father. He would have been mortified. And I never perceived any indication from my father that my mother had shared any of my privileged information with him. We both knew without saying, that any betrayal of confidence would end or greatly reshape the trusting relationship we had built up over the years. It was also in junior high school that I learned my father had prostate cancer. I was 11 years old and knew that cancer was bad, and I thought this meant my father would die. My father was not comfortable talking to me about his disease, but he assured me that his cancer was caught early and he was going to be fine. He convinced me not to worry, and he said he would definitely be around to see me get married. It was my mother who explained in the most basic terms what the prostate gland was and its function. She assured me my father would still live without it. It was removed to stop the spread of cancerous cells to other vital organs of his body. 
Finally, I got the general idea, this gland had something to do with making babies. I only wanted to hear that my daddy was not going to die, and I would have him in my life forever. High school was a time of fun, but also a time of study. My father emphasized that he regretted his laissez-faire attitude about high school. He would always do just enough work, and just enough studying, to get by. For him, that meant getting a smattering of B's and C's in order to graduate. He would always belabor the point, that if he had only studied harder in school, and gone on to college, life would have been much easier. I would always smile, assuring my father that I had no intention of slacking off in school. In fact, I was a straight-A student throughout high school, if for no other reason than to please him. Disappointing daddy was not an option. I will admit, that those years my father was learning construction, must have been hard for him. However, that was his form of college education. The pride I have in my father, has no bounds. With only a high school education, he became a very successful businessman in the housing industry. He owned several apartment complexes, financed homes for young people unable to obtain a conventional mortgage, and employed over 60 carpenters, brick masons, electricians, plumbers and drywall installers at any one time. And in order to supervise them, he had to know their jobs as well or better than they did. Then, he had to teach himself the business end of keeping his small empire running. This is why I was determined to learn the legal end of his business, in order to provide him with someone he could always trust to safeguard the lifetime of commitment he had built for my mother and me. Before high school graduation, I had applied to several colleges, with an eye toward law as an undergraduate. I liked the idea of studying for my law degree, at the same college I received my bachelor's. In this way, I could remain in the same comfortable surroundings, and not uproot my whole life. I applied to the University of Virginia, Columbia University, NYU, and Cornell. I was accepted by all four, based on my high academic undergraduate record, and possibly my father's financial position. Maybe it was my desire to escape the island, that made me decide on Cornell, in upstate Ithaca, New York. Cornell is an outstanding Ivy League school, and a sheepskin from this institution, would be impressive. The other two New York schools were only a short jaunt to Farmingdale, and I feared the temptation of running home every time things got too tense for me. Virginia, probably would have been nice, but I wondered about the transition from northerner to southerner. In retrospect, Charlottesville's weather, certainly would have been an improvement, over the cold snowy winters in Ithaca. But I came to appreciate the icy serenity of upstate New York. I did well in college. I excelled as an undergraduate, taking a liberal arts curriculum. As an attorney, it is incumbent upon counsel to know as much as possible, about the case being defended. Cases can take the lawyer into fields such as medicine, finance, governmental regulations, psychology, or environmental science. My undergraduate transcript, had opened doors for me as I walked into Cornell Law School. However, my trip to Myron Taylor Hall, was not without its challenges. Several months prior to my acceptance, I had given birth to a beautiful daughter, Emily. It was in my junior year of undergraduate school, when I had met Larry Perino. By this point, all the heavy class loads, were behind me. I left myself with a somewhat easier final year, however, there were still papers to write and exams to take. Larry approached me one afternoon, as I was having lunch by myself at Risley Dining Hall. It must have been fate, since I had never before eaten there. On this particular day, my hunger, and the proximity of Risley converged. Larry asked if I minded having company for lunch. He said he was by himself, and hated to eat alone. 
It was perfect timing on his part, since I was in a good place, and did not mind his obvious advances in a very public, well-lit, semi-noisy cafeteria. Anyway, he was really good-looking, athletically built, and just shy of six feet tall. Larry's most attractive qualities were his sense of humor and ability to speak on almost any subject intelligently. I caught a glimpse of these things on this first day we met, and subsequent meetings only reinforced my first impression. Larry basically picked me up, and I willingly accepted his invitation to a party that weekend. Being a college junior and a virgin was an oxymoron in 1996. To this day, Larry Perino is the only man I have ever made love with. I had important plans for my life, and they did not include promiscuity. Anyone having any life experience whatsoever can fill in the blanks. We started seeing each other regularly. He was graduating the year we met, but would be attending Cornell's grad school. He was accepted into the engineering school, and I was planning to attend law school after I graduated in 1997. When Larry discovered I was pregnant, he was shocked. He had assumed I was taking precautions. I never expected to make love to Larry that first time. It just happened. I was transported into another world I had never visited until that night. It was an unplanned evening of rapturous frenzy, and I was lost in the moment, not thinking of the possible consequences that might follow. I felt unconcerned, thinking I was in the safe range of my menstrual cycle each time we were together. I was almighty wrong. Larry loved me. He took responsibility, and after the initial bombshell, stated calmly that we needed to get married and figure out how we were going to handle raising a child while going to school. Both our parents were very supportive on hearing the news, as I had expected they would be. With the monetary assistance of our parents and their willingness to help whenever possible, we made it. Law school was still arduous. But we were a team, dedicated to the progress and success of our newly created family. Our daughter Emily was the focus of our love. In 2000, I graduated summa cum laude. There were tears in my father's eyes at my graduation. Larry graduated from his program two years ahead of me. He did not work in his field during my last two years in law school. We mutually decided that after I graduated, we would move to Long Island. I had told Larry it would not look good if he quit his first engineering job after such a short committal. Instead, he spent the time after his graduation working as a high school substitute in various schools in the area. He was in great demand since he was able to stand in for teachers of regular courses, as well as advanced placement programs in mathematics and science. Larry enjoyed teaching, but he was not certified, and I knew he wanted a job with a higher salary and more prestige. After I graduated, we moved to Plainage. Since Larry's family lived in Yonkers, it was not too far to visit. But it was far enough away that we could maintain our own lives without interference. Larry quickly found a great job working for the town of Oyster Bay. His job was multidimensional. He could find himself involved with the planning of roads and bridges, repairing damaged seawalls after severe storms, overseeing wastewater systems, performing building inspections, or a host of other jobs requiring his growing expertise. Besides working to keep my father's business in the black, I worked with a local law firm, mostly dealing with issues of property, house closings, and related financial matters. We both kept busy, and though our life was sometimes tense we were happy and comfortable and independent. We bought a nice home built in 1968 that was actually renovated by my father. We insisted on paying him market value for the house, 
but that was a losing battle. I knew my father would have given us the house as a wedding present, but I was past the time of accepting such generous gifts from him. My father was then 62 years old, and I wanted him to retire after a lifetime of hard work. He insisted that stepping down would be a kiss of death. He had no hobbies, no great desire to travel the world, or other interests to keep him sane. He would work until he was physically or mentally unable to do the job. I understood his attitude. I was his lawyer and could keep close watch on his projects and his stamina. The following year, Larry and I had a second child, Lucas. Today Lucas is already in college. The cliché, time flies, is not cliché. Tomorrow's become today's in quick succession. Lucas was a good kid. He did well in school and made friends easily. He was also a good athlete interested in all sports. My story focuses on child number one, Emily. She is the one who unknowingly became embroiled in a situation that unraveled a secret my father kept from us until the day he died in 2012. That was the day my world came crashing down. My father's death left me inconsolably abandoned. As long as daddy was alive, I was safe knowing my protector would always be there. I was fortunate to have a devoted husband and I depended on him. It was my father's influence that had made me want to become a lawyer. He never once asked me for anything in return for the sacrifices he made on my behalf. I committed myself to use all he had taught me to make him proud of me. His death was not sudden. He surrendered to dying, rather than living the enfeebled existence his condition had thrust upon him. Daddy never despaired because he knew he lived on through me and my children. I still had my mother, and that was a comfort, but half my soul had been torn away. My father's death opened my eyes to the fact that life had an end. Life went on without my father as it must. Then, a seemingly harmless event occurred that changed everything. If it were not for my mother's heart attack, we never would have learned the truth. Emily met an attractive young doctor, who treated her grandmother. Otherwise, we might never have discovered that Andrew Thompson had lived two lives. And this other life had produced a child, who was a stranger to me, even though he was my half-brother. What's most shocking to me, is how my father managed to hide the funds from me that he needed to pull off this secluded life without my discovering its existence. He certainly needed a great deal of money to nurture this son and educate him to the point of becoming a surgeon. His backdoor woman never once appeared to my mother or me, either in person or in conversation. My father's veiled existence put secret operatives to shame. 